Welcome to the Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of the Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Our guest this week is Alana Ahmet. Alana is a toy designer and educator from Denver, Colorado. She has a background in physics and art and a love of Rube Goldberg machines. The combination of the three serve as the inspiration for her company, Momentix Toys, which uses chain reactions to teach design skills through joyful experimentation and hands-on play. Hey, Alana, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, you guys. We're really excited to hear what um, cool tools you have to share with us. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to share them with you all. Good. Tell us about the first one, which is a laser cutter. Yeah, I'm sure you've had uh, many versions of various laser cutters on your show before, but I couldn't couldn't pass up an opportunity to rave about the usefulness of a laser cutter. Um, The one... The one uh, I have the most experience with is the Epilogue Zing laser cutter. Um, mm-hmm. He's the 40 and the 60 watt. Um, like you mentioned, I'm from Colorado and Epilogue's uh, out of Golden. So uh-huh. uh, maybe there's some Colorado ties there. But yeah. <laughs> it is again and again like the most useful prototyping tool I could ever wish for. And why do you like the Epilogue Zing over some other ones, particularly some ones that may be more consumer oriented. Yeah. So my kind of experience with making has kind of been shaped around maker spaces and kind of my experiences with them in community maker spaces and college maker spaces and um, epilogues. Um, interface is really easy to work with in making it available to community members and in all the maker spaces I've been in, again, maybe it's because I'm in Colorado. It's always been epilogue. Um, I ran a makerspace in college and whenever I had an issue, it was really easy to call them up and be like, I don't know why this isn't working. And they would give me instructions right away. But I like, you know, I would love to work with the more high powered ones, but I was consistently using laser cutters to prototype out of plywood usually. Um, so quarter inch plywood was my favorite material and to make kind of flat pack designs and then glue them together really quickly to make a three-dimensional design. I could do so quickly on a laser cutter, um, way easier than working like a CNC or like trying to make it in a wood shop, at least mm-hmm. for me. Oh yeah. Okay. For sure. And so, and so this, the, the epilogue zing mm-hmm. 30, whatever it is that would cut a quarter inch plywood. No problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that cuts quarter inch is about as, uh, as depending on what wattage you're using, usually quarter inch is about as thick as you're going to get. But, you know, you can do engraving on acrylic and I'd cut, you know, my very first set of business cards I ever made when I was like 21 was <laughs> out of paper on um, a laser cutter, which was mostly out of just that was what it was available to me. And I remember I... I went to a pitch competition later that night and I met somebody who was blind and it was really interesting because my business card, which I'd happened to make from like cut paper on that laser cutter. Um, she, I gave it one to her, not really thinking about it. And she 
obviously there was no braille on it, but she could read my business card just from the nature of it being cut three-dimensionally out of paper, which was really interesting. And so the the Zings, they were probably, what, maybe $8,000 or Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, I don't know off the top of my head because, again, I was always in kind of like a maker setting. You know, one of the tools I was thinking of sharing is just like my makerspace membership, but I thought that might be kind of a a, a cheap shot because um, just having abil- the ability to use tools in kind of a communal setting it has been really important for me. And the Zing was just every makerspace I've been to in Colorado always had that one. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so could you describe about the size? How, how big is it? Yeah. So I, the bed is 18 inches by 12 inches. So you're not going to put anything crazy big in there. And, you know, I've sensed worked with like really big laser cutters, which obviously are, um, you can cut a lot bigger things, which becomes really useful, but it makes you think in kind of a constrained way. And the 12 by 18 foot from what I was prototyping, which was either art projects or making prototypes of toys, it got the job done really well. And when I was teaching um, at a college, it was just a very like approachable looking machine. It's nothing like crazy looking. So I found that people who maybe don't have a background in like machinery or any sort of fabrication tools, the laser cutter was a really approachable tool for them because all you had to do was scan your design into Illustrator, change the stroke um, so it would cut and put in your settings and you were good to go. Um, Which even if you didn't know anything about laser cutting, most people could find they could do something like that. And so the, the case is uh, the size of, I don't know, uh, three feet by two feet or something like that? Yeah, that's that's about it. Um, maybe even a little smaller than that. It could fit um, in a pretty small space. We were like in college, we had this really tiny room and it had plenty of room around it to, to work with still. And we've had uh, people recommend uh, for the consumer level, like a Glowforge. Do you have any experience with 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 a machine like that? No, I haven't. I haven't worked with a Glowforge. Is it kind of? I'm assuming probably pretty similar. Use a program like through Illustrator, or whatever mm-hmm. sort of software yes. you want, and kind of just cuts according to line weights or color. Yeah, you import like any STL file that you want, or it has a camera built into it, so you can like actually draw on the stock. Oh wow! And then it will just cut around it, which is kind of cool. I have I have a Glowforge and use it quite a bit, and That's, I really like it. Um, what sort of like ventilation do you have hooked up um, to that? Like, do I you feel a, like yeah? I have a big hose. It's like you know, whatever the the, the dryer kind the of duct hose. hose. And when I yeah. I have to uh, like run it out the window mm-hmm. when I do it. It's not a big deal, but it's, yeah. How about you? It, do you have a HEPA filter or are you? A ventilation system or? yeah there's a fan hooked up to it so i know you've got a um the two i've worked with are kind of ventilated in different ways which mm-hmm. you know luckily the beauty of having uh being part of a makerspace is you get to uh worry about all the fun stuff and not uh <laughs> worry about when it, <laughs> right, right, right. and until that one yeah. year when i was taking care of it and i did learn a lot about the different like lenses and lasers inside of it because i had to actually like clean it and take care of it but um 
kind of felt like, you know, being on a farm or something. I was in charge of the animals, but it was just (laughs) (laughs) my laser cutter in the basement. (laughs) I love it. That's great. So the next one, this is interesting that you mentioned it because uh, it's something that our previous guest, Paul, used to help him do his Turing tumble uh, Mm -hmm. creation is the Fusion 360 uh, CAD CAD CAM software mm-hmm. for Autodesk. Tell us about that and, and if it's how much it costs and the learning curve compared to like Tinkercad, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the cost was a driving factor in being that, you know, I needed, I wanted to design things in college. Specifically, I had this toy concept, but that, you know, I went to a liberal arts school, so it wasn't like we had a big engineering department to teach mm-hmm. me how to model. So I had to go the the free DIY YouTube instructions route. Um, and Fusion is is free for college students. So I used that for a long time. And then Fusion is also free if you have a startup for like three years. So I have yet to pay for Fusion, which is a big nice. pro. <laughs> um, and, you know, I see why they do that because now I'm so versed in all of the different aspects of it where, you know, if eventually Autodesk, if you're listening, <laughs> if eventually I need to pay for it, like I will, I will, because um, I've found most of the, most of what I do Versus whether it's using a CNC to like program that way or making some sort of animation or design or drawing files, I've figured out a way to do it on Fusion. Very cool. And for for the listeners, this is like a kind of like an AutoCAD program or mm-hmm. a CAD program, computer assisted design. And you are, I, I think they have a version that maybe works on the web as well as a kind of an app or desktop version if i'm not mistaken yeah um, and and you're kind of it's kind of like illustrator you're you're drawing but it's a cad program where they ha- you have dimensions it's like sketchup but but much more um suited to a product rather than say architecture yeah yeah exactly if, if you want, ever want to go play if anybody listening ever wants to go play around on tinkercad i feel like the really really basics of fusion kind of mere tinkercad of like you have this shape you pull and extrude it is the basics but yeah starting with a sketch and like pulling up from there to make a 3d model of some sort and i really appreciate how you can add the different materials in there so you can make it function like it's made of wood or made of steel or whatever um and it's just been really helpful for like trying to communicate something i'm designing that doesn't have anything similar to it, you know, especially with manufacturers, I can be like, oh, it needs to move like this. Um, and I can animate it to move like that. And it'll mm-hmm. generate drawings from your 3D model, which is the drawings I've sent to like all the factories I've worked with before. Um, so I don't need to make any technical drawings. It will do it for me. That's really That's good. Cool. And so yeah, it's, it's advertised as being parametric modeling. Mm-hmm. Do, you, what, do you know what that means? I, I've heard that word and I think I have an idea of what it means, but I, I probably am wrong. I think, you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but my understanding is that it's driven by different constraints and dimensions. Mm-hmm. So the way to use it best is when you start out drawing in this two-dimensional sketch is to constrain all of your shapes and measurements by putting in dimensions. Um, And then 
it's great because if you change it, you can build your entire model on this timeline. And if you go all the way back to the beginning and scroll back and change a dimension, it will change like change something from two inches to three inches. It'll change all of your work in the timeline to match up with that. Um, and that's my understanding. I don't know. If yeah. I think that's kind of what my understanding, like my hope, which is what Tinkercad doesn't have. is like, if you want to change like a whole size, mm -hmm. you can have them all tagged so that all the whole sizes across the part change. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's As great. Yeah, I designed something with many, many holes in it. And I can mm -hmm. definitely confirm that if you, <laughs> if you design it right, um, you they'll all change, which has been a definite, you know, when you're teaching yourself some software, there's always going to be who knows how I would have learned it if I like had sat down to learn it from a class. But there's a lot of little things like that in Fusion where oh, it just goes if you set it up correctly the first time, which has come through much trial and error, it just makes your life so much easier down the line when you're like, ah, I need to change this one hole. Yeah, definitely. I could see that making a big difference. Okay, so that's Fusion 360. Uh, the next one is uh, a little less high tech. It's a small water bottle. <laughs> yeah, this is my, my favorite tiny water bottle which maybe maybe you can relate to living having grown up in Colorado but uh I always carry a water bottle with me everywhere the altitude mm -hmm. I need to be hydrated but this mm -hmm. is this is one I usually take when I'm camping which I I love to camp I love to canoe um and go in the backcountry and I feel like I have my best ideas when I'm out there and I always take this with me um and it's found it's one of those objects that I feel like has served many purposes in my life in a, in a camping setting, very useful for if you want to have coffee or a tea or like lemonade or something, you don't want to fill up, like empty your entire, like entire water bottle for. And like, if you just want like a little bit of coffee or something like mm -hmm. that, it's the perfect size. Um, it's also, um, you know, very lightweight and small. So you can, um, when I've been camping or backpacking in really cold places, you know, at the end of the night when you heat up some hot water, I don't know if you guys are big, big outdoorsmen, but if you're really cold, heat up some hot water, put it in the small water bottle and kind of like tuck it into your armpit or like you can sleep with it and it's not mm -hmm. as bulky as like a big water bottle. Yeah. So sometimes oh, I'll have nice. two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then on the other end of things is, you know, I spend a lot of my time like making Rube Goldberg machines, which you mentioned mm -hmm. at the beginning of it. And the, and also like teaching kids to make Rube Goldberg machines and a problem that kids have and, and I have with engineering things from like household objects or creating a chain reaction is like the, uh, the problem of weighting things differently. You need to hold things down or, Things need to trigger things with the different types of mass. So it's like the perfect size, um, like counterweight if you're making a pulley because you can fill it up with different amounts of water or sand or dirt to like make it heavier. And that's a little loop. You can hang on to things so it can kind of act like a zipline or a pulley, or you can fill it up with different amounts of water and roll it down and have it knock down dominoes. Um, 
I love a <laughs> cylinder rather than a ball. If you're ever making a Rube Goldberg machine, because cylinders obviously roll a lot straighter than a ball. Yeah, so, much more control. <laughs> yeah, it serves many, many purposes in my life. That's cool. And it's not That's expensive true. either. Yes, it's cool. not expensive. So you can uh, get a bunch of them, make the pulleys of your dreams, and then go camping with them. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Okay, so and they this is you're talking about a twelve ounce one is when you say small that's what you meant a twelve ounce yeah it kind of okay. it looks like a miniature Nalgene which I love I've always carried an Nalgene water bottle so it's kind of the mini version which you know if you were gonna if I was gonna pitch it for a third reason it's just that miniature things are very adorable and cute I don't know <laughs> what like. <laughs> I don't know if there's any, there's probably been a study on it of why humans are just satisfied, like so fascinated by small things, but this could fall into that category of just being like a shrunk down version of the Nalgene we all know and love. Yeah, definitely. Cool. I, I totally <laughs> can, can get that. Um, so uh, this is something that is like actually the opposite googly eyes usually are little but you like really big googly eyes well i'm i will accept all sizes of googly eyes <laughs> i i don't have anything crazy in my office um mm -hmm. upstairs but i would i'd be intrigued to have some gigantic googly eyes but i do have like a pack of a couple hundred in my office at all times <laughs> in case of emergency <laughs> of, yeah, all, that, of all different sizes and do you have like a whole variety a whole uh sorting tray of different sizes scales uh, well if <laughs> if you'd step into my office uh you you would immediately know that the, a sorting tray would not be in my uh <laughs> the way my brain works to organize things more of a bucket um <laughs> where they're all mixed together and you can find the size you need i don't have any giant ones but i have yeah definitely different sizes um i don't have the ones you they have, make them where you can peel them off the back and like stick them on things which if i were to revamp my googly eye collection i would go for but i just have the ones where you've got to apply some sort of like adhesive to the back of it which is okay because i feel like i usually have a glue gun plugged in most times of the day so <laughs> easy easy to apply <laughs> and so this you do because why do you <laughs> on things. <laughs> well, I was thinking about, you know, there's a lot of things I've collected that, you know, I could make a whole separate list of just things that are just like fun and don't, they're just really joyful and silly. And if you need a break to go put some googly eyes on something just forces you to acknowledge it in a completely different way, mm -hmm. which can be like a really fun design thinking exercise. If I don't know if you ever like walk around the city, for example, and like see faces or see shapes that, yeah. you know, like or in clouds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And this is kind of a way to kind of personify the objects around your house, which I know we're coming to the end of quarantine. Um, but when we were all stuck in our house for a long time, <laughs> it was definitely seeing how many googly eyes I could put around my house and not have my roommates notice them, um, <laughs> which they still Whoa. haven't noticed most of them. Um, but they kind of force you to take objects and yeah, take on a character of their own. And suddenly you're looking at something that had one identity and now it's got a completely different like personality to it mm -hmm. is, 
I think just a healthy way to approach many things. And googly eyes feel kind of like the embodiment of that practice. Yeah. I think people like to add them to their Roomba vacuums. Don't they? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Makes I've, sense to do that. Yeah. I've got some <laughs> on my uh, fire detector on my ceiling. So if you ever look up, they're smiling at you. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It reminds me of that uh, psychologist in, I think it was in the forties who made those monkey mothers out of like just really simple materials like chicken wire and uh, just a really rudimentary face or something just to see like if the baby monkeys would bond to it. Oh, interesting. And, oh, yeah, yeah. and they found out that like that. Um, it was, uh, I think, you know, adding those kind of, the, the, the eyes were like big reflectors or something. Now I'm looking up, up Harry Harlow monkey love experiments monkey so, love yeah, experiments just, that sounds like a great band name yeah it totally <laughs> does and so uh yeah the, the the monkey mother is like just almost like this googly eyes kind of thing but it was just a very simple face but the monkey immediately attached to it yeah like this like desire to like cling to it and there's some like kind of heartbreaking pictures of a baby monkey <laughs> oh, no. clinging to this this uh like inanimate kind of doll no i feel like well, it's kind of similar to what all of us do i feel like we're always yeah. looking for i don't know whenever i go hiking you know you see a tree that has kind of looks like it's dancing or you see a rock that kind of looks like a face it's just like human nature i don't know if we were all like this naturally or maybe it's just me i'm just constantly like we're looking for something that reflects back us yeah. or what we're looking for i think the the benefit of like a false positive of seeing a face is better than the other way where there could be a face of like a tiger and you don't see it as being one so we're we're, <laughs> we're wired in the direction of um, seeing faces when there might not be them yeah just in case it's a survival advantage yeah, yeah that makes sense <laughs> um well cool so googly eyes on everything i i'm on board <laughs> great um so tell us about your um momentix motion kit what is it and uh what inspired you to do it and all that good stuff yeah so the motion kit is kind of our most me and my my partner, Anna Gilbertson, uh, started this toy company together in college. And this is our most recent iteration, our best iteration, for sure, as iterations go, um, <laughs> of it. It's a toy kit made of wood um, and really simple, kind of funky, wacky pieces um, that connects with things you already own. So things from your recycling bin or maybe old toys or things you find outside. Um, it's meant to act as like the levers and pulleys and ramps to create a Rube Goldberg machine. So, and it's meant to be a building kit in the sense that you're creating a Rube Goldberg machine, but it is meant also to be really simple to put together. So every piece is like two pieces max click together. Um, so you don't need to be a master Lego builder to play with it. It gives you kind of the freedom to focus on, oh, how I'm going to use how am I going to use the things around me? I don't need to get caught up in the the nuances of it all, which is pretty directly tied to like my experience as a kid. Um, I think my first 
uh, exposure to a Rube Goldberg machine in fifth grade. Um, we had to like move Stuart Little's present across the classroom or something. And I remember thinking, ah, I've got so many great ideas, but uh, my my family was not. <laughs> I refer to my dad as not not a power tool dad. Um, uh-huh. I love him, but he was not. We didn't have like tools in my house. There was no like scrap lumber in the backyard. Um, so mine was mostly made of, you know, duct tape, um, paper, cardboard. Um, so it didn't function as well as I think it should have. And maybe I just have a chip on my shoulder ever since. (laughs) But that was kind of a, the design has been a direct response to that in a lot of ways. Um, And as we've kind of built it, it's become a response to other things we care about, like introducing physics and engineering concepts in a really like colorful and gender flexible way. And um, just creating tools that are really approachable to people who maybe don't see themselves as like engineering type people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, there's such a need for that. It's really very inspirational. Um, and, 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 uh, and, you know, a chain reaction is like, who doesn't love one of those that it's a really fantastic way to engage people who may not think of themselves as technical or even scientific, but it is, yeah. it, it is. Yeah, exactly. It's, And it's really like scalable is one of my favorite things about it, where, you know, if you playing with a kid or anybody and you just put a marble down a ramp and it lands in a cup, like that is a chain reaction. And it's really satisfying. And you get this sense of like accomplishment and success from it. And you like see motion happening. And then from there, you can add a step and then add a step and then add a step and you can make it as complex as you want, but it's less black and white in terms of success or failure, follow the instructions, you did it wrong. It can kind of reflect whoever's building with it. Well, that's really great. And so this is called Momentix? Momentix? (laughs) Yeah, it's Momentix is the name of our company and the kit we're coming out with is called the Motion Kit. And is it going to be a Kickstarter? Yeah, I think we're going to do it in a Kickstarter format in the next, uh, in the coming month. Cool. Yeah. And the... um, the look of it is really cool. I love the design aesthetic. It, it reminds me of this, like I, I had this wooden box of painted wooden pieces that uh, were kind of like pastel colored. I can't remember what it's called, like Zemo or Zebo or something. And it had that has that same kind of look. There was that certain kind of California architecture aesthetic of the 1980s. Yeah. Were you I love tapping that. into that at all? Well, you know, if you go look at we our old kit, which we we just contributed to the laser cutter and fusion 360, and a lot of me learning how to use these tools was okay, we have this idea, but we don't know how to um kind of make it. You know, we don't we're not confident enough to go put in a factory order for like three thousand pieces, but we want to test it still. So we we ran a Kickstarter, like a little mini Kickstarter last year and made um, 150 kits between me and Anna. Like that was our quarantine activity. We just like CNC'd and sanded toys for like three weeks straight. Um, mm-hmm. And the result from us making them ourselves, they were really two-dimensional. So the concept was really there. 
like they functioned really well, but they just were kind of ugly <laughs> or maybe mm-hmm. not ugly. They were more, you know, stereotypical of something you'd see as very sterile and like straight and, you know, not very flexible. So our design challenge and this new kit is like, how do you make something that is really beautiful also? Because people love beautiful things. Um, even if they don't want to acknowledge it, I think everybody as a human loves a beautiful object. And I think drawing from architecture is a great place to find that because people are just so naturally drawn to, you know, beautiful buildings around them or like just beautiful shapes, whether they're, you know, a funky candle you're going to go put on your dining room table or, you know, a house you're going to build. Yeah. Oh, you know what it reminds me of is um, Memphis group. Design. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you tap into that at all? You know, if not in like a super intentional way, I would say, you know, Pinterest would be if I was going to choose a fifth tool, um, I would choose Pinterest (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's just such a great way to like visually organize everything. And I would not be surprised if I looked back and there was like some Memphis group um, designs on there. But yeah, tell me how you use a Pinterest. Uh, Is it more than a scrapbook or do you have? ways in which you kind of maybe more proactively um, search for things or how how do you use Pinterest? Yeah. So Pinterest is, I feel like people think of Pinterest as like, you know, a tool for like, yeah, moms who like need to like, I don't know, like that's how I always perceived it, but I've just been consistently using it for so long. I just think of it as like a, I use it as like a vision board as a way to like visually collect my thoughts rather than having to like write them down. So you can look in Pinterest collection of anything they already have in there, but you can also just save anything onto Pinterest. So I have like a Pinterest plugin on my Google Chrome browser. So if I ever see an image or if I want to upload my own image, I can pin it with that plugin and add it to like a folder. So we have all sorts of, you know, for packaging design inspiration and like just a whole folder just for like colors and like aesthetics and like things that are a little more abstract that I couldn't capture otherwise is like visually captured on Pinterest, which um, is incredibly useful, especially if you're very visually oriented like I am. Yeah, I, I use it all the time and I'm just amazed other people aren't using it all the time either. Yeah, right. It's, <laughs> it's still free too, which is. At least I'm not paying for it. I don't know if other people are, but um, yeah, it's it's pretty deep and it's a pretty good search, yeah, um, um, engine as well for finding other stuff. Um, Do you use it I, in I, a similar way? Yes, I use yeah. it for like image research. Like if I wanted, mm-hmm. like you know, I was building a erector set bridge. I wanted to mm-hmm. see what do bridges look like or what do erector set bridges look like, and um, yeah. You can use Google, but Google is, yeah, is Google can find them, but can't catalog and organize them and uh, archive them the way Pinterest can. One of the most useful ways thinking of like in the design aspect of how we use Pinterest is we've always been attached to like making our pieces out of wood because it just, it just fits with the ethos of what we're doing of like having a really tactile kit. Um, But we also wanted it to be like, you know, a building kit that has modularity to it. So it was a quest to figure out pretty much every single way you could imagine to connect 
two pieces of wood together. That was a whole Pinterest board of just like, you know, toys, but also like architectural and furniture design and like life hack stuff all went there of like, okay, two pieces of wood. How can you join them? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great use of it. That's fantastic. On the more aesthetic side, if you haven't seen same energy, same dot energy, oh, you I should definitely that. You should look at that. That's a image search engine that will search by the feeling of the image oh. that you um, that you you can drag an image in. You can take a you know a target image, and it will replicate not the subject but the feeling, the atmosphere. Oh, it's the kind of really, the vibe really, of it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it'll uncover all kinds of things you would not get to any other way. I wonder, just, I would love to talk to whoever designed this algorithm and like what kind of it's based around to get you there. Yeah. Right. I have no idea. <laughs> it is. It's very clever. Yeah. Wow. Um, I will play around with that for sure. We wish you best of success in your launch of Momentix. Uh, and it, it does have a, it, you do have a very distinctive vibe to your stuff. So that's really great. Yeah. I hope uh, people go and look up a photo. I feel like it make or a video, even if it's just of a Rube Goldberg machine. I feel like if you're not yeah. familiar with what a Rube Goldberg machine is, it'll make sense if you Google one, one thing in YouTube of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What time in June that you're releasing the kicks or start doing the Kickstarter? Um, we're still playing around with the exact day in June. So if you know people want to sign up on our website, I will make sure to let them know because okay. it's still in the works the exact day. Okay, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. Yeah, this was lovely. so much, Alana. Really Great talking to you. Yeah, it's been a delight, and um, it really looks cool stuff. And thanks for the tools that you shared from the googlies to the laser cutters really <laughs> yeah, good I stuff hope. so thank you yeah good luck course. with your kickstarter alana yeah thank you so much hey everybody it's your host mark and i wanted to thank you for listening to the cool tools show and i also wanted to let you know that we've got a lot more going on at cool tools than just this podcast we also have the cool tools website which has a new tool review every day and you can get there by going to cool-tools.org we also have four different newsletters that you can subscribe to, and you can subscribe to those from the Cool Tools page. We have this podcast that you're listening to right now. We also have a YouTube channel where we review tools. Check that YouTube channel out by going to youtube.com slash cool tools. And one of the things I'd like to ask you is if you're really enjoying everything that we are producing, go to our Patreon page and support us there. You can sign up and give us as little as $1 a month, and that would mean a lot to us. The money that we get from Patreon goes towards a lot of things. We transcribe our podcast interviews so that you can read them online. We pay for editing of our podcasts and for our videos. We pay our contributors. We have video production costs. We have equipment costs. We have hosting costs. And the money you give us through Patreon also goes to support Cool Tools Lab. Anything you give is a huge help. And one of the things that we do is if you are a contributor to Patreon, we'll give you a shout out on air. And so I have a few people here to thank this week. Mark Lyonage, Micah Gates, Monty Zukowski, Patrick James McNally, 
Robert Cohen, Scott, Spence Lloyd, Steve Avery, Steve Golden, Steve Levine, Tom Hess, William Phillips, Aaron Nipper, Darab Patel, Glenn Mercer, Jay Walker, Jeff Bonner, Ryan Jarrell, Pat Daly, Patrick Kennedy, Troy Wallet, Mike Camerate, Nicole Harkin, Tim Youssef, Scott Reed. Thanks all of you for supporting Cool Tools. And if you would like to have a shout out, go over to the Patreon page and sign up. And thanks for listening to the Cool Tools podcast. We'll see you next week. <music>